Okay, good morning. Today's daf is Sote Yudbet. Uh, we pick up uh, six lines from the bottom, um, seven lines from the bottom. We're in the middle of a gadata about the uh, slavery and of in Egypt, very appropriate for Cholamoid Pesach, in the context of Mida Keneged Mida, measure for measure, in the Mishnah by Sota, how that was how what was done to the Sota, and also God meets out measure for measure. Uh, so we pick up now seven lines from the bottom. When the midwives identified with Yocheved and Miriam feared God, God made for them houses. What are these houses? It's the debate of Rav and Shmuel. One says it's houses of Kuhuna and Levia, comes from Yocheved, a mother of Aaron and Moshe. Houses of kingship. We'll see, have to see about that. That's Aaron and Moshe, who really came from Yocheved, not Miriam. Um, actually, they're more Levium, of course, than Moshe, but he is probably the, he is like the chief Levi, and Aaron is the head of the Kahuna. So that's Bate Kuna and Levia. Uman number Bate Malchus, how do you get the idea of kingship coming from Yocheved and Miriam? David Nami Miriam Kasi, actually, David is a descendant of Miriam. Now, David has to come from the tribe of Yehuda, so how are we going to make this work? So, Azuva, Azuva died, and this is an apostle that says that Kalev married a woman by the name of Azuva. So, so Kalev will be identified with Kalev ben Yefuneh, and Azuva will be, who is from the tribe of Yehuda, and Azuva will be identified with Miriam. So Miriam died, he took Ephrat, gave birth to Chor, and it says, by David, David ben David was the son of an Ephrite man, understanding that that's linking back to Kalev, who married a woman by the name of Ephrat. David descended from uh, Kalev, and therefore David descended from Miriam. Now, of course, the problem is it says that Azuva, which is going to be Miriam, died, and Ephrat was a different wife, but as we will see, Azuva will not only be identified with Miriam. They'll say that she got that name because she was abandoned and she was sickly. And then when she uh, healed and got better, then she became like a new wife. So both, so Miriam is both identified with Azuva and Ephrat. And that's how she is ultimately the progenitor of David HaMelech. Okay, so now we're going to look at the psukim that give us this context that Kalev married Miriam. So here's where he married Azuva. Kalev ben Chatron married Azuva and um, as a wife and Yiriot. So this is actually a little bit complicated because what does it mean he married? It says Holid, he gave birth. So if you look at the English translation, they will often have gave birth with Azuva. Um, et meaning with, not gave birth to. But let's see what the Gemara does. These are the names of her sons, Azuva's sons. Yashav, Shavav, Ardon. Okay, now we're going to interpret the Pasuk. Ben Chetzron. So first we have to identify this Kalev with Kalev Ben Yefune. So what do you mean Ben Chetzron? Ben Yefune who? He's Kalev Ben Yefune. No. So it says Ben Yefune is descriptive. It's not his proper name. Ben Shepina Meatzas Meraglim. He turned himself away from the from the uh, plot of the Meraglim, but it is the same Kalev. And, and Chetzron is his father's literal uh, proper name. Vakati Ben Kinazu. Okay, one minute. We got another problem though, because Kalev is Knizi. He's identified with Kinaz, so and not with uh, Chetzron. Dechsev Yochadas Niel Ben Kinaz Achid Kalev. Asniel, the son of Kinaz, the brother of Kalev, conquered it. So if he's the brother of Kalev and his father father is Kanaz, Kanaz is also Kalev's father. So Amarava Chorgo de Kanaz Havi. No, no, no. He was he was Kanaz's stepson, not his literal son, his stepson. Diganamik Dhsiv Ha Knizi. And that's why Kalev is referred to as the Knizite and not the son of Kanaz, because he was raised in the family of this Kanaz, but not he, his biological son. Shmamina. Okay, so that's how all of these are the same person. And that's Kalev in the Pasuk of Ben Chetzron. Now he married this woman, Azuva, Zo Miriam. This is Miriam. The Lamanikashma 
Everybody abandoned her. She was a sickly child and nobody wanted to marry her. Um, the Holid, so he gave birth to Azuva. What does it mean, Holid? In the context, it's clear it means he married. So, he married her. Any man, anyone, means many men, who marries a woman for the sake of heaven, and here it means that not out of, let's say, uh, uh, sexual desire or attraction, but because this was a poor, here she was, she was an, no, nobody wanted to marry her, he, and he wanted to, there was no husband to take her and to be her protector, so he did it purely for the sake of her and for, prote- and, and for her benefit, um, and the l'shem shemayim, and therefore it's like he gave birth to her. Now, of course, I think for a lot of us, that idea of thinking about one spouse as if they gave birth to to another, um, it doesn't. It's, it's trying to say a, a, a dissonant chord. Um, but again, if you, I guess, imagine you know this type of a patriarchal society, and actually, often sometimes the husband was much older um, than the than the wife. There was an element of sort of of being the wife's protector and provider and all of that. So here is this abandoned um, girl. Nobody, nobody's interested in her. So it says it's as if he gave birth to her. Um, all right. Um, now it also says um, uh, that and Yiriot, but this is now being read as not a different wife, but the a different name for Miriam. Um, so, um, her, her, her face was like, her, her, you know, was like curtains. They were like drawn, you know, it was long, elongated, pale. That's how she looked because of her illness. These are her children. Don't read Baneha. Her children are Boneha, the things that built her. Like, you know, So, and meaning, and now it's going to describe how because Kalev married her, then she was, she got better and she was strengthened and she became a healthy woman. Yashar, so the first son is, is read Yashar. Yashar at Atzmo. That talking about Kalev, that he made himself straight. Rashi says, meaning by going on the straight path and not following the Miraglim. You could also say he made himself straight in the context of this Midrash, that he married her when nobody else would. Shovav, Shashivivis Yitro, he subjugated, Shovav is the next name, he subjugated his Yetzer, his desire. Again, Rashi says to not go with the Miraglim, but you could also say maybe desire to go after some woman that he was more attracted to. Um, the Ardon, Shirada at Yitro, same idea. Ardon, he, uh, he subjugated. Subjugated his Yetzer. Okay, the Igadami, so because Chalev married her, it's Bana, it's very interesting. It goes both from being like her father and now having it like her son. He's playing both roles, but Bana being read as Bonaha, he is the one that gave her standing and protection. Um, okay. V'igadami, I'll show you panav domin levered. That Vardon is because his face was ruddy as a, um, as a what do you call it, um, as, as a rose. Um, avi, um, avi takua. Now, for ashkor tavi, uh, this person, ashkor, the father of takua, hayushte nashim, had two wives, and we're going to identify this with Kalev as well. Chala'av na'ara. Okay, those are his two wives. Ashkor ze Kalev. Again, we are, we, this is Kalev. V'lamini kweshmo ashkor, why ashkor, shehushchuru panav, his face grew black with the fasts that he took, the religious fasting he did to pray to God to help save him from the miraglim, um, which is quite interesting, right? Because I think we get a sense when we read, you know, the psukim, you know, that Al-Kalev had this courage and the strength and he was willing to stand up against the miraglim even in the presence of Albany Israel when everybody was gathered against them, um, against him. Uh, but nevertheless, here we see that at least he... Uh, 
would not, could not just rely on his own uh, fortitude and courage. He had to really pray to God to have the strength to withstand the pressure. Um, okay. Avi, so what does it mean, the father? Again, he became like a father to Miriam, that point again. He, you know, he, 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 he planted his heart. He, he like, like you, you're like, you know, you, you, uh, like, you, like, you, like you drive in a stake um, to his father in heaven. Um, again, presumably for the Raglim, uh, but again, it could also be read in the context of doing everything with shame Shemaim in terms of marrying Miriam. Hayushtei Nashim, he had two wives. Nasa, um, okay, Nasa So these refer to Miriam. Miriam was became like two wives. How is this? Um, because it calls her Chala'avina Ara. So she went from being a Chala'a, from being sickly, to being like a Na'ara, to being like a young woman. Um, so, Chala'avina uh, Ara. Uh, um, uh, her name, it was neither a woman by the name of Chala or Nara, Ella Bitchila Chala'a, originally this is describing Miriam, she was sickly, and then she became as strong and healthy as a young woman. Ubnei Chala'a, continuing in the Pasuk, the children of Chala'a, now meaning Miriam, Tzarat Vitzohar Ve'esnan, Okay, so again, we're going to interpret this not literally her uh, children, but describing this uh, story here and what happened once she got better. So, uh, she became a competitor to all of her friends, meaning her uh, other women around. Now she became so beautiful that all the other women were jealous of her. Sohar, uh, her, her, her face was as bright as like the midday. She, she, she had a glow now that she became healthy. Um, and Esnan, which is a gift to a prostitute, anybody who saw her was filled with so much lust and desire that they had to go to beg their wives to have sex with them, and the Gemara says would even offer them like as well, like a payment for a prostitute. Um, so again, a little disturbing image. Okay, that's the end. Anyway, that's how we know that the Batim, all that was in service of saying that the Batim was Batei Malchus, which descended from Miriam, because Miriam married Kalev, and we're, and we're saying that David descended from Kalev. Okay, back to the story of Paro. Paro commanded his entire nation to say, any, chi- any son who is born, you should throw him into the Nile. Because um, So it doesn't say any child that's born to the Hebrews, but any, any son that is born, he commanded his entire people to throw even their own sons that day into the Nile. Why? Rashi quotes a Medrash Tanchuma because the astrologers of Paro looked in the heaven and said, ah, today the savior of uh, the Israelites will be born, and we do not know if he is Egyptian or he or a Hebrew slave or a Hebrew. And the reason, obviously, for the ambiguity is because Moshe was born, uh, you know, to, uh, as a Hebrew, but he grew up in the house of Paro. He's even identified in the Torah, Ish Mitzri, by, by the daughters of Yitro. So they were unclear about that, but they knew he was born today. So therefore, Paro commanded his entire nation: any any boy that is born, throw him into the Nile. Okay. Um, okay. Paro had three, three gzerot. First to the miyaldot, to the midwives. If it's a boy, uh, kill him. 
ובסוף, and afterwards, ואחר כך, some switch the girsa, כל הבני ילוד היה ותשלחו, throw every boy into the Nile, and here being understood, as we'll see in a second, to be Hebrew boys, ובסוף, על המוגזר. And then, at, at the end, ultimately, he even told his own people to throw their own sons that were born on that day. Okay, now, so that's the edict. And now, that's setting the scene for, now Moshe is about to be, uh, con- is going to be conceived and born with that edict in place of throwing the boys into the Nile. Um, so a man went from the house of Levi, this is um, Amram who marries Yocheved. Where did he go? What do you mean he went? Now, obviously in the Pesukim, it's sort of, it's a way of giving drama to this new thing. You know, Paro made this edict, and then this new, then this, you know, this, this important thing happened that Amram took Yocheved, you know, man took this woman, and doesn't even name them because it's, you know, focusing on the birth of Moshe and so on. But anyway, the Gemara wants to say, what is the meaning of the word Vayelach? Where did he go? He followed the advice of his daughter. Famous Medrash, Tana, and ties back to Miriam, who we were discussing before. Um, Amram Godoladurhaya. Amram was the great uh, of the generation, you know, the great personage, uh, religious leader um, of the generation, um, or political leader, or both. Kevan, Shagazar Paro, Harasha, Kolbeni Yilod, Ayatashlihu, once the edict was to throw every baby boy into the Nile, uh, so then what did he do? Uh, he says, and it's for naught that we're, you know, having the, this effort, um, this work, um, and, meaning, and, and, and having children. They'll just be murdered. It's interesting the phrase of amelim, effort, um, because not even referring to the raising of the children, it's the birthing of the children, and, you know, that are, and then they're being uh, cast immediately into the Nile. But, uh, so, again, the word of amelim is a little bit uh, strange here. It's the women who bear the, <laughs> the pregnancy and the birth. Um, but anyway, we, it's for not that we are having children. Amad Vigirish says, Ishto, what is the point? So he divorced his wife. Now, why did he divorce his wife? Why didn't he just stop having uh, sex with her? Um, because as we'll see in a minute, uh, well, first of all, one could say that, that it would not be, um, you know, the, fair to be married and to be not having, have, the, have uh, you know, sex as a part of the marriage. But it also seems that uh, it's more because he wanted to make it as a public statement and he wanted other people to see what he was doing and how this is the way he felt that they would sort of resist, you know, Paro's gzeira. Um, so, or, or, or at least respond to Paro's gzeira. So he, revo- he divorced his wife, making clear that he's not going to be having any, they're not going to be having any children. Um, um, so everybody followed suit. They got up, all the men, and they divorced their wives. Amrlo um, Bito, his daughter, said to him, What you're doing is worse than what Paro is doing. Paro's edict only applies to the male children. By not having children, that means even no female children will be born. That's the effect of your edict. Even though it's not an edict, it was an act, but it was an act that was meant to be followed. Um... Okay, Paro's edict only applies to uh, this worldly life. By children not being born, it means that their souls won't get to Olam Haba. So even if they were immediately killed, they, at least they would, their, their souls would have Olam Haba. Paro, you don't know if his edict will be filled. And obviously, foreshadowing that, at least by Moshe, it wasn't. Um, so, but you, Tzadik, but you are a righteous person. You're not 
a Russia like Paro. So it's again, you're the tzaddik, he's the Russia, but you're, what you're doing is more harmful than what the Russia is doing. Because as a tzaddik, you know, we know that things that you decree will be, you know, will, will, will stay, will, will, will take effect, will be followed. So, and he, he declares and it gets established. That is what happens by a tzaddik. So what you're doing is worse and, and than what Paro is doing. He's the Russia, you're the tzaddik, but what you're doing is clearly having a worse effect. Um, okay, so what ha- What did he do? Amar v'hichsiras ishto. He listened to Miriam. That's vayelach ish, and therefore, and he vayikachet bat levi. He remarried his wife, and amdu kulam. Then they all went and amdu kulam v'hichsiras nishosayim. Then they all followed suit. Okay, so that's how the pasuk starts. Sounds like it's the first marriage, but really, it's a remarriage. Uh, you understand also why Chazal had to do this because Aaron and Miriam are older, um, and it's clear. Right in the pasuk, so how could it be that he just had married Docheved and she became pregnant with Moshe? Obviously, they had to have children from beforehand. So they put this story about divorce and remarriage. And if you think about it, continuing to have children in the face of that zera is the real act of defiance, not sort of divorcing ones, you know, and 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 ultimately succumbing to the zera, uh, making it easier for Paro's wicked, you know, sort of uh, uh, a deed to be fulfilled. Um, so. So he followed his daughter's advice. Um, so he took the daughter of Levi. Should have said he, you know, he he took her back. He remarried her. No, he made such a big deal about this, you know, remarriage that it was like a first wedding. Hoshiva Bapiryon sat on a throne. Aaron and Miriam, you know, were uh, dancing in front of her. and the heavenly angels sang out. mother of children, is rejoicing. Is she rejoicing because of? her two children right now, Aaron and Miriam, that now she is back to be married to Amram. Is it also suggesting the future birth of Moshe? That's the aim of Banim Smecha. Anyway, this was a whole major wedding and to do, so also like a big deal, which is leading in, I mean, in the context, it's maybe to make a big deal that we are remarrying our wives, but also now it has this beautiful backdrop and setting leading into the uh, conceiving and birthing of Moshe. Okay, um, Bat Levi, he married, married the daughter of Levi. Um, is it possible that you call her the daughter of Levi? Now, it just means that, you know, you wouldn't say by a man because that's Ben, it means he's a child. But anyway, because somehow the Gemara emphasizes why, how can you say Bat, which means that she's young? We have a tradition that she was 130 years old at the time of the birth of Moshe. So the, how do we, where is this tradition coming from? This the the pasuk a pasuk that he's referring to is refers to Yocheved who was pregnant. Um, she was uh, um, you know her pregnancy was um, was when they were coming down to Mitzrayim and she was born the minute that they were entering in. Shenemar as the verses Asher Yaldau Salu Levi Mitzrayim that she gave birth to her to Levi you know Levi's wife gave birth to Yocheved in Egypt and the uh, the, the midrashic reading of this is. Uh, she was given birth to in Egypt. But he was never her, her. The pregnancy of her was did not take place in Egypt. So how could that be that her mother was pregnant with her out of Egypt and not pregnant with her in Egypt? And she was, but she was born in Egypt. 
It must be that she was born at the moment they entered Egypt. So she was born in Egypt, but she wasn't pre- her mother wasn't pregnant with her in Egypt, and that's Benachol between the walls as they're entering into the walls that surrounds uh, you know Egypt um, or the capital city, whatever. So that's Yochavim. Now, why did Chazal interpret it this way? Because there is a problem with the Pesukim. When the Pesukim say sixteen, when it lists the number of people that came down to Mitzrayim, if you count, it's sixty-nine, and then it says there were seventy people who had come down to Mitzrayim. So the way it resolved it is this interpretation, which is linked to this Pasuk. Oh, she was only pregnant with her when they were coming down, so there was only 69 when they were coming down, but the moment they entered Mitzrayim, there were 70. So it resolves that problem in the Pesukim. So now, if Yochebed was born when they entered Mitzrayim and they left, they were there for 210 years, that computation, we can do another time, um, and Moshe was 80 when they left, so Moshe was born when Yochebed was 130. So how could it call her a bat, a daughter? Um, so the Gemara says, um, she restored, like, you know, by, by, by Sarah, the signs of youthfulness. Uh, she got her period back if she was going to get pregnant now with Moshe. So she became like a young, a young woman. Um, I should mention, you know, that the Ibn Ezra has a strong critique of this. He says, how could it be, you know, with Sarah, she was 90, and the Torah makes such a big deal about the miracle. And here you're saying it was 130, and, and, and how could it just sort of pass over it without mention? Ramban has a whole response. There are a lot of miracles that happened that the Torah doesn't mention, hidden miracles and so on. Anyway, that's what we have. Um, now, Amr uh, Abuda, oh, we just did that. Vatari Shavat Ben. And now the woman became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Now, Yocheved uh, being pregnant with Moshe. We're going to see in a second that according to the Gemara, she actually was pregnant three months before Amram remarried her, which is fascinating, right? The, all this amazing thing, he remarried her, and they had this wedding party, and this procession, and all of that, and she became pregnant. Actually, no. Now her pregnancy was obvious, but actually she had been pregnant three months before, even before the Vayelach Ish. So we'll see in a minute why the Gemara says that, but now it's assuming that, and it wants to understand, so how do we read the Pasuk that says she became pregnant if she was already pregnant? So the Gemara says, Bekara, um, um, uh, the reason to do this is it really just should have said she gave birth now to Moshe. Why did it say she was she got pregnant and gave birth, even though the pregnancy happened earlier, to connect the idea of the pregnancy to the birth. Mahu Rasa Shalobatsar, the same way the pregnancy was without childbearing pains, Avle Dasar Shalobatsar, she gave birth without childbearing pains. Now, it might mean that the Gemara here is not referring to the pregnancy um, as much as the conception was without pains, because, you know, Vataha, she became pregnant, could re- really means in the context, she conceived, and she, get you know, um, so, um, so it could mean that the conception was that way. We are, as we know, pregnancy is often um, very much, you know, with difficulties and with pain. But that's the reason that it emphasizes this um, to tell you this this amazing miracle or fact. And this tells you that uh, righteous women were not in the edict against Chava um, that they would be uh, give birth in, cha- in pain. For, for 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 righteous women, they are free from that from that curse. It's actually interesting. You when, you know, when, um, uh, like, uh, epidurals came out um, and to give women in childbirth, there was 
people, there was those from the Catholic Church that were opposed to it because um, because of the curse of Chava, and uh, you know, and from the Jewish community there was uh, never an opposition because curses uh, is not something like it sh- we should be doing the curse. Curse is something to be freed from. And here Chava is not a, necessarily a endorsement about epiduros. You know, that's a completely other discussion. Anyway, okay, um, moving on. Um, okay, so she gave birth to Moshe and she saw that he was good. So what does it mean she saw that he was good? You know, as Ramban, I think, says on the Pasuk, every, you know, mother thinks that their child is the most beautiful, adorable child in the world. What special thing here means that she saw that she was good? So Tanya, Rabbi Mirmer, Tov Shemo. No, it just means that she named him Tov. Um, although it's funny, she saw that he was good, but okay. Um, the nice thing about this is um, that now she has, he has a Hebrew name given by his mother. The name Moshe, by the way, you know, we often mean say means to draw from the water. That's what Rashi says. You know, try to find a Hebrew word that, word that means to draw. But um, really, it, uh, Moshe is a uh, Egyptian word. Ram says it means born of. Ram says, for example, Ramses is Ra Moshe, son of Ra, born to Ra. So Kiminamai Mishitihu really means I birthed him from the water, um, which is a very powerful uh, image there. Um, and, you know, in terms of Bat Paro, so actually Moshe was the Hebrew name, so now uh, an Egyptian name, so now actually you have a Hebrew name given by his mother. The name was Tov. Um, Rabbi Yehuda Omer Tuvyashima, his name was Tuvya, I'm not sure which gets it, but Kitov Hu, I, I guess the Hu. Tov Hu and Hu Ya Ga Tuvya, okay? Rabbi Nechemi Omer he saw that she, somehow, I don't know how, she sensed that this person, this baby had the potential for prophecy. That's what it means, kitofu. It doesn't tell you how, how she sensed that. Others say, ah, here's now something she could see. He was born without a foreskin. And that showed that it was a very uh, special child. Um, and the sages say, When Moshe was born, the whole house filled with light. That very powerful image. Rashi quotes us on the Torah, so probably people are familiar with it. This. Um, and that's really like kitovu, like, oh my God, like you understand that there's something miraculous about this child. Um, uh, and we're going to make a nice connection from the Psukim. Ksiv hacha vateros o kitovu, she saw him that he was good. But Ksiv also it says by the creation of light, vayaralokim eta or kitov. It's really fascinating when you look at it. It's almost like exactly vatera kitovu, vayar eta or kitov. Um, so this is, refers to the like the divine light that that, that filled the house. But he's Now she hid him for three months. Now, how did she manage to hide him for three months? Is the question of the Gemara. The Gemara somehow is assuming that um, you know that uh, uh, that. The Egyptians were paying attention to when this remarriage occurred and were counting nine months from there, so they should have been out to look for him exactly at that moment, you know, nine months from the remarriage. How did she manage to get away with hiding him for three months? So, um, and if they had a way to find babies, you know, without paying attention to who was marrying who and when they imagined the pregnancy and the conception occurred, if they had a way to find babies, then why didn't they find him earlier? So how do we explain this ability to hide him for three months? So let's take a look. Um, So, because they counted nine 
nine months, I mean, they must have seen that Yocheved was pregnant, but maybe they didn't know how far along, and they counted, so they saw this woman that she was pregnant, and they figured, oh, how, when are we going to expect her to give birth? Uh, well, I guess she got pregnant when, uh, when, uh, Amram, when we saw that they all, all these Hebrews remarried their wives. So they were planning on nine months from that date, once they walked around and saw, or, you know, it wouldn't be earlier than that, maybe it'd be later than that, but they saw Yocheved pregnant, they knew we'll start paying attention, you know, nine months from the date of remarriage. Um, okay. Um, and, where are we? Um, but she, as we said earlier, because this is a way to explain how she got away with it for three months, is, was actually pregnant three months before um, they, the remarriage. So even though the remarriage was a big deal, it actually served to buy them three months uh, because the Egyptians counted based on that. Okay. She could no longer hide him. Just continue hiding him. Now, we sort of already said, because now they're, now they're going to be looking for him. But the question is, how are they going to find him? What made her, now that they were focused on trying to find this baby, um, you know, what was going to enable them to find him that, that, that would not make it possible for Miriam to continue, for Yocheva to continue hiding him? Whenever they heard that a, child, that a baby was born, and here they figured out that a baby was expected to be born. Um, they would bring an infant to the place where they knew that a baby was born. In order that they would like slap the infant on the toilet and he would cry and that would cause the other baby to cry and that's how they would find the hidden babies. So once they knew to start looking, she knew she could no longer hide him. Now, um, Okay, so where were we? Um, okay, which is read in the context of of the whole, uh, you know, redemption. Um, small little foxes, meaning by using little babies to find other babies. Okay, she took a basket of uh, reeds of a uh, wicker. Um, why did she pick wicker? From here we see that righteous people, you know, they they want to be uh, economical in terms of how they, you know, use their money. So this was a cheap material, and they're very careful with how they use their money. Um, why? Since they are so careful not to uh, steal or ever take any money that doesn't belong to them, they're also very economical with how they use their money. Now, this is quite disturbing. I mean, besides that it brings up certain stereotypes, uh, it's also disturbing because, really, this is where you're going to be economical when it comes to creating a basket that's supposed to save your child. So um, the Gemara immediately suggests another answer. Um, um, so, um, um, no, they picked wicker because it was flexible. And if it's flexible, then as it's going down the Nile, it'll be able to bend whether it encounters something, you know, flexible or something hard, where if you have something hard, it could puncture and it actually would not be as good to protect the child. Okay. She plastered it with plaster and t- pitch, tar. The plaster was on the inside, and the tar was on the outside of the casket, a basket. <laughs> so the tzaddik, you know, Moshe, this little tzaddik, should not smell the bad smell of the tar. That's why the tar was on the outside. Uh, Tuzzles actually has a different gear. So he says they were both lined on the inside to protect the, ba- to protect the, uh, make, the make, make the basket watertight. But his gear is the tar was on the inside, meaning the lower layer, closer to the wick, to the wicker, and the plaster was on top of it to, to protect the smells that would come from the tar. Okay. Um, Vatazimba said, Yelich, he put the child into the basket. 
Vatasim um, and put him into the uh, into the reeds. Rabbi Eliezer Amar Yamsuf. It was the Yamsuf. Of course, it doesn't exactly work because we see, know it's the Yeur. So Rabbi Shmuel Ben Achmeni Amar Agam. No, it actually means the a, a swamp, a place where there are reeds. Kidechsev Kanei Vasof, as it says here, you know, it speaks about reeds, um, and Suf is a type of a reed. Um, uh, Kamalo is his uh, is his quit. Vatei Yor. So the daughter of Paro went to bathe by the. It doesn't just mean bathe, it means to cleanse herself from the, uh, from the excrement, but here it means the idolatry of her father. And Rashi sort of using the idea of water. How do you cleanse yourself from the idolatry of your father? It doesn't just mean, it means a specific ritual act. She was going to convert. She was going to use the denial to convert. Okay. As the puzzle says, if God has washed clean the excrement of the daughters of Zion, so you see that washing is used by referring not just to, and that's obviously metaphoric and means the sins, so that's what, how washing can serve as that metaphor. And her young women were going up, you know, alongside of her. In this context, means that they were going to die. And uh, it says, here I am going to die. So here it means going to die, not necessarily it would have mean that, but here it does, and as we'll see because of uh, a drusha we're about to make. She saw the basket in the reeds. Once the, her, her, her maidservants saw that she was going to save Moshe, they said to her, Normally, in the way of the world, even if a, fle- a king of flesh and blood, now who would say a king of flesh and blood unless it was being contrasted to God, and here God is not going to be mentioned, but okay, if a normal king were going to be, make a even in a context where the rest of the world would not listen to this king's edicts, um, his family minimally would li- listen to his edicts. It's funny, sometimes, you know, the family gives themselves permission not to follow the rules, but okay. Anyway, minimally, his family should follow the edicts. So in this case, you're going to come and uh, uh, violate the, uh, the edict of your father who said that we, the babies should be cast in the river and you're going to be saving the ba- uh, the, a baby? Gavriel the angel came and banged them into the ground. To, you know, they killed them, made them submerge underground and, that's how, and, the, and, and they died as a result. Um, it's actually you know, interesting because here the, the, the king making a gzera, Paro making a gzera, um, evokes the idea of Amram making a gzera. Right, a tzaddik makes exera and it gets established. Um, and Paro was said makes exera and it might, you know, it might get undermined. Also, there, Miriam, the daughter, right, sort of undermined her father's exera by uh, persuading him to revoke it. Um, and here, Paro undermined and violated her father's exera. So there's very interesting parallels there. Okay, uh, now, Bagavim uh, fact. She sent forth her, her maidservant, and took the basket. The base of Amata means her hand, like an ama, you know, that's a measurement of the arm. Ama also means a maidservant. If you say it means her hand, because the word ama, that's what it means. It could have said shifchata. The one that says maidservant means yadano. If one is a hand, it would have used a much clearer word for hand, yada. Ama could mean both, but more by default, it means maidservant. Servant. So that's why I'm saying that. So now the Gemara says like this. Um, it means her maidservant. Didn't you say that Gavriel just, you know, bet- 
you know, bury them all in the ground. No, he left her one maidservant. It's not proper for the king's daughter to be alone without any attendance. So one was left. Um, okay. Now, if it means her arm, why did he use the funny word as amal? Just use the word yada, which is more common. Um, it means amata, it means like it went out in Amal, like it stretched, because Amal re- refers to a sense of, uh, of distance, right? So the arm magically stretched, elasticized, and, you know, was able to reach Moshe. That with, this is a comment on Paro extending the scepter to Esther. You find the same thing by the arm of Bat Paro, that it magically extended. And you find the same thing by the teeth of the wicked. We just had blunting the teeth of the Ben Rasha. You have, you have broken the teeth of the wicked. Don't read broken. You have actually caused them to elongate. Okay, that maybe is particularly disfiguring. Okay. Um, okay, so. Uh, what were you. Um, Okay, back. Now she opened it up. She saw the child. Should have said she saw the child. Literal reading of the Pasuk is she saw it or she saw him, comma, the child. Why did you need the who? She saw him. Just say she saw the child. Um, she saw the divine presence fitting in very much again with a sense of the light that filled the house. She saw him. Meaning God, as I yelled, with the child. So she actually saw the divine presence with the child. She saw how, uh, you know, how, how miraculous this child was. Um, okay. There was a child crying. Um, you called him a yelled, which means a, a baby, and you called him a nar, which usually means a young man. So how you, why are you calling him a young man? So Tano, who yelled Vakolokinar? Now, obviously, he was a baby, but his voice was like a, that of a young man. It was a strong voice. Diva um, Rebuto, that's what Rebuto says. Amalo Rebbe You've turned him into a person with a blemish because for, for a baby to have that deep of a voice, that's uh, that you know that's uh, that, that that's like uh, that's unusual. That's not and it's not proper for that to be the voice of a baby. That would be like a blemish. And as Rashi adds, um, also you know a little bit uh, anachronistically, in the end the Levim were the singers in the base on Mikdash, so that would actually invalidate somebody that had a voice that was you know that deep already as a child. Okay. So, the word na'ar means that his mother made a little chuppah, a little baby chuppah for him, for, um, because, because she said, you know, and put in the basket, okay, maybe I will never see him in his, when he gets married, which she didn't because he got married in Midian, but okay, but you know, I, I won't be able to, he won't grow up and have him and get married, I'll make him a little pretend chuppah right now. Also evokes the chuppah that his mother had on the second, uh, taking, uh, on her second marriage. Okay, um, where were we? Uh, okay. Uh, she had compassion on him. This is one of the Hebrew children. How did she know? Now, obviously, context would have been a big hint. But okay. She saw that he was circumcised. This presumably is not the same point before that he was born without a foreskin, because that's just a natural occurrence. Must mean that actually he was circumcised, right? They circumcised him. Um, okay. So this this one is of the Hebrews. So what's the word zeh? That he prophesied without realizing what he was saying. Zenofel, this one was cast in the Nile. Vein acher nofel. But no other baby was cast in the Nile. As soon as Moshe was cast in the Nile, the edict 
stopped because the edict was in order because the astrologers saw that you know that Mo, that, that the savior would be born and he would be judged by water when this happened this, the, that sign in the heaven stopped and therefore the edict be, be stopped and what's being said is Moshe was also the only first one of the edict because if you remember before it says that the edict was given to the entire nation um, so there are different versions here because uh, this makes it sound like before we had different stages first to all the all the Hebrews, and then on the later point to the entire nation. This sounds like that edict of Paro was one day to the entire nation. That was the only time it was said, cast the babies in the Nile. And the only baby this happened to was Moshe. Nobody else, nobody before him, nobody after him. Um, okay, which then makes one wonder why you had to have all that problem about the three months if the edict didn't come until the de- until, well, oh no, I guess the edict, yeah. If the eating didn't come until the, until the day they imagined Moshe was born. So these, uh, these uh, things don't exactly work together, but okay. Um, so only Moshe. Um, when, they, when they say to you, go and seek out the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the people that like raise the dead and they, uh, you know, do this sort of um, uh, necromancy, that chirp and that like utter and babble. So this is making fun of people that sort of these, uh, who foretell the future, this Pasuk in Yishayahu. Sofim, and now it's interpreting it in general about, you know, astrologers and so, so on. It's not like it's, Total nonsense. Tzofim, mitzaf tzofim, they're reading, they see something, they don't know exactly what they see. Mahagim, they, they speak, but they don't know exactly what they're saying. So what do they see? They saw that the Savior would be punished by water. Before we said they chose water because uh, they said God would punish his measure for measure and wouldn't destroy the world with water. But okay, here they actually saw a sign in the heaven that Moshe would be punished with water. So they said, cast every child, and again, remember, even Egyptian children, cast them into the Nile. Then the, Moshe was the very first baby that, the, that this was done to. As soon as Moshe was uh, thrown in, again, it doesn't exactly work. Why was he hiding him for three months if the Gzera wasn't around yet? And when no baby's born in those interim three months, but okay. Anyway, Moshe was the first baby this was done to. Um, we do no, no longer see that sign. So then they annulled the edict because now they said, oh, that savior has been cast in the Nile and has been judged and is dead and we don't have to worry anymore. So, now what they didn't understand was, he's not going to be, the savior will be punished by the waters of Meriva and not by the Nile. And the fact that they didn't see the sign was because right now in the Nile he was, you know, no long, he was in a pace of danger and if nothing had happened he would have died, but that was not a permanent uh, sense that he was, that, that, the, that the Savior had been killed. Um, okay. What's meant? They are the waters of Miva, Asher Rabu, that were, you know, fought, contentious. These are the same waters that the astrologers of power sought, Vito, but, you know, oh, they were confused. They thought it was the Nile. No, no, no. They meant these were the waters that they were really seeing. Okay. That's what Moshe says. 600,000, you know, people, you know, is this people, like, a, like you know, uh, like a, a, um, 
infantry men, like the word regel, but here regli is being read as on account of me. You know, so, uh, so, so regli, amalema shal Yisrael, bichvilini tzaltem kuchem. All 600,000 of you, that's because of me. Because when I was cast in the Nile, the, uh, the, edict, uh, the edict ceased. So you, I, you all have to thank me for, for being saved. Now, Tosa says one minute. The whole edict was made because of Moshe. So why is he taking credit for saving them? The whole edict was made because of him. But he says, okay, but once this happened, even the whole desire to kill them, which had preceded this, which was to the midwives, even before these astrological signs, all of that stopped. And therefore, Moshe, you know, that's why then the edicts stopped. Okay. Um, um, and we will stop here for today and pick up uh, here tomorrow.